Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. The bumper, as we call it, that short 50-second video is actually um, an introduction to a series that Andrew is going to kick off uh, next Sunday. However, fortunately, the message that I want to share with you today does not contradict anything it said in that bumper. And if you're reading it along, you can say amen to everything there, and hopefully it melds right into my salutation to you this morning, which is good morning, all you phenomenal people. You can say good morning back. Good morning, all you phenomenal people. Now, there we go. Brother Andrew frequently steps up here, as Ryan did, and gives a salutation like, good morning, church, or good morning, Foundry Church. And that's absolutely well and good, and it's a wonderful reminder that individually we are members of his body, and we get together as, a, as, a, as an assembly, we're his corporate body known as the church. But I wanted to just change it up a little bit and say good morning, phenomenal people, for a reason that I'm not going to explain right away, but rather ask you to listen to the lesson and see where you pick up on why I might have addressed you in that manner this morning. If you don't have your Bibles out now, please put them in your lap. Get plenty of lick to change through the pages because we're going to go through about eight or ten scriptures And inexperienced as I am to be up here, I'm probably not going to wait for you to get to the scripture (laughs) before I get into it. And if you like to take notes, as I do when Andrew speaks, um, once again, if I'm going fast, please just try to catch each of the scriptural references. And then after the service, if you're moved to reconstruct the message, you'll be able to do it by the chronological sequence of our getting into the written word. So, it is wonderful to be with you here this morning, as I know everyone is here consciously to enjoy the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every time we gather as his church, we have the opportunity to share his love. And as we share his life, He shares our life. He's not ashamed. He is not ashamed to call us his brethren. He's the first, the firstborn among many brethren. And so that's why I'd like to talk this morning about Jesus Christ, the firstborn of many brethren, and the wonderful role that he played in God's continuing master plan to redeem fallen creation back into himself. But as we begin today, I'd like you to keep John 20, 21 foremost in your minds. As my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. Notice Jesus didn't say in a manner that kind of resembles how my Father sent me, kind of sort of like, My father sent me. 
with a little wiggle room, he said, as my father hath sent me, even so I send you. And I read, as my father sent me, to be precisely as my father sent me, just like my father sent me, even so I send you. Now, this is an amazing statement, and I think it begs a further understanding into how and why Jesus was sent as man. Well, there has never been a person who more wonderfully demonstrated in his humanity the person, office, and work of the Holy Spirit. No one better than Jesus himself. Because for 33 years, he gave a demonstration of a glorious phenomenon. A phenomenon I will call the phenomenon of all phenomena. God in the flesh, manifest. The Word, the eternal Word, the created Word incarnate. That is a phenomenon. But what we need to recognize and constantly again and again remind ourselves of is this, that if it is a phenomenon that God can be manifest in the flesh, it was precisely to be such a phenomenon that God created you and me. And I want to And I want to remind you at the very start of our session this morning, as we consider the person of our wonderful Lord Jesus, that everything he was as a man, he, as God, created us to be. Now, sometimes we don't recognize that fact. We tend, of course, to think of the Lord Jesus as Superman. And by thinking of the Lord Jesus as Superman, we rob ourselves of the glorious emancipating message that the example of his life brings to us. The amazing thing is this, that although the Lord Jesus was never less than God in eternal, unchanging co-equality with the triunity of deity, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the amazing thing is this, that when he came into this world, he came to be precisely man as he, as God, created man to be. When I think of the Lord Jesus as Superman, essentially God in his humanity, behaving only in all the fullness of his deity as man, I tend to worship him, admire him, but when it comes to my responsibility to live that kind of life on earth that he lived 2,000 years ago, I almost dismiss it and say, well, that was okay for him. He was God, but I'm not God. But if we think like that, we rob ourselves of the message of the life of the Lord Jesus Because what the Lord Jesus is trying to teach us and tell us through the 33 years of his sinless humanity on earth is how to be man as he, as God was man, demonstrating man's humanity. 
So we can say the Lord Jesus is not only the truth about God, he is the truth about man. He was the truth about God because he was the truth about man. Because to tell you the truth about man, man was to be the truth about God. Isn't that obvious? Let me say it again and ask you to think it through. The Lord Jesus on earth for 33 years was the truth about, excuse me, the Lord Jesus on earth for 33 years was the truth about God because he was the truth about man. Because to tell you the truth about man, man was to be the truth about God. And we're going to get into that right now. Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let us make man in our image. And in the likeness of God made he him. Adam, the first Adam. So if Adam, in his innocence, before the fall, created efficiently to function for the function of the purpose for which God had made him, if Adam walked this earth and you wanted to know the truth about God, who ought you to have looked at? The one whom God created to make an invisible God visible, Adam. And if Adam was being true to his humanity, he would, he would be the truth, exactly the truth about what God was like. Now, isn't that amazing? And of course, you see today in the 21st century, you and I are being true to our humanity only in the measure that we are the truth about Jesus Christ. The tragedy is this, and of course, this is the nature of our sin, that all too often we are telling lies about Jesus Christ. We call ourselves Christians inhabited by the living, eternal, timeless God, and we should be telling the truth about Jesus by what we are. We should be telling the truth about Jesus Christ by the attitudes we adopt, by the language that we use, that the thoughts of our minds, but we're not telling the truth about Jesus Christ as he so perfectly told the truth for 33 years about his father. He could say, he that hath seen me hath seen who? The father. Because I am the truth about my father. I don't just tell you about my father. I am the truth about my father. There is nothing about me that is incompatible with what my father is. I am the truth about God. Could say, and did say, the Lord Jesus. That's a phenomenon. And yet it was precisely for this glorious function that you and I were made, that man should be inhabited by God himself in such a way that God can communicate his character, his nature, and his very being through a man. Do you know what it says in the 57th chapter of the prophecy of Isaiah? Isaiah 57 and chapter 15. For thus, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. What? 
Where is God? What is God's habitation? Eternity. Because only eternity is big enough for God, for God is pre-existent, self-existent, eternally existent. From the timeless ages of the past on into the timeless ages of the future, you see, God's character is eternal. He is eternal life. And the Bible tells us that God has given unto us eternal life. And this quality of life, called eternal, is vested in the person of the Son, the Word, who was with God and is God and by whom all things were created, the created word. And there's only one place big enough for eternal life, and that's eternity. And God, who is eternal, inhabits eternal. But the amazing thing is this, back to Isaiah, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. The amazing thing is this, that the God who inhabits eternity is the one who is to prepared to inhabit you. God incarnate clothed with a man's humanity. This is the unique character of man, as God made him, that he was literally, not just figuratively, but literally, factually, to enter into it experientially, created by God, literally, to be inhabited by God. And when the Lord Jesus came into this world... He came to show us exactly what man was intended to be and how a man on earth may be inhabited by an eternal God so that that eternal God can give tangible expression to his character, his person, his being, and his name through the man whom he inhabits. And to this end, the Lord Jesus became man. Would you please turn with me? knew that was going to happen. Would you please turn with me to the epistle to the Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5 tells us, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, a form that no man has seen and a form that no man can see, the form of God. God has a form, but we don't know what that form is. But we do know that the Lord Jesus was in the form of God. But he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus in the form of God, possessing all of the attributes which make God God, deliberately set aside 
these divine attributes that make God God and submitted himself to those limitations that make a man a man. But he, as God, created a man to be inhabited by God, and that God who inhabits eternity might inhabit that man, and that the God inhabiting that man might through that man make tangible his own character and his own being. And the man without the God who inhabits is nothing. For it is the God in the man who makes man, man as God intended man to be. And that is why when the Lord Jesus came into this world, though he was never less than God, deliberately made himself all that a man is without God. Nothing. He made himself of no reputation. In the New English translation, it, translation, it says, he made himself nothing. The Lord Jesus, of his own free volition, he need never have done it, made himself nothing. All that a man is without God. Now, the purpose, of course, for which the Lord Jesus made himself nothing was that his Father, as God, might inhabit his humanity and be in him everything. That there might be a total communication of the character of his Father as God through his humanity as man. It was the function of the Lord Jesus in the sinlessness of his humanity to place God where he could be seen. John 1, verse 18, tells us, For no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So the first of two considerations for this morning against this background is what I will refer to as Jesus becoming. Jesus becoming a man, the Son of God, in his humanity. How did Jesus become man? We're now going to examine the role of the Holy Spirit in that process where Jesus became. And if you would, you may turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And when we have completed looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33, we will likely have another perspective on this very familiar story that what we had previously thought about only as the Christmas story. Jesus becoming man, the Son of Man and the Son of God. I won't put the scripture up on the screen, but ask you to follow along in your Bibles as I read these verses, Luke 1, 26 through 33. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city Galilee, uh, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now that's how it all, became, all began, Jesus becoming Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, that first Christmas day when the Lord Jesus was born into this world and God was incarnate, stepping out of eternity into time and clothing himself with man's humanity. That's how it began. It began with the word of God upon the lips of God's faithful servant, the angel Gabriel, who suddenly burst into the life of this woman, Mary. Now, how did Mary react? The natural reaction of the natural heart of this natural woman to this unnatural word was one of disbelief. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Her protest in the face of the angel was simply this. The physical prerequisite of natural birth did not exist. This is a sheer physical natural impossibility. How can this thing be? Not only Mary herself denied the physical prerequisite of this, for this physical birth, but Joseph himself, we're told in the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, denied any physical responsibility for the birth of Jesus Christ. But the birth of Jesus Christ was no accident. The birth of Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of divine prophecy that named Jesus a son from his mother's womb. If we turn to the prophecy of Isaiah again, this time the 48th chapter and verse 16, Come ye, hear unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God, the Father, and his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, hath sent me. This is Jesus speaking in the eternal present tense of his deity through the lips of his servant Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, he says, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people from afar. The Lord God hath called, God hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he mentioned my name, Jesus Redeemer, Savior, Emmanuel, before Abraham was, I am. And so the Lord Jesus was named before he was born, named a boy. And how? How can this thing be, asked Mary? Turning back to the Gospel of Luke and in the 35th verse, and the angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest 
shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. In other words, Gabriel could have said, Mary, if you want to know how the word of God, the prophecies of Isaiah, is to be implemented, I will tell you. The word of God will be implemented through the spirit of God. By the word of God, the incorruptible seed through the Holy Ghost, the spirit of God implementing the word of God to clothe the life of God with the body of the Son of God. This was the function of the Holy Spirit. And now, please hear this. The virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most magnificent illustration that the Bible gives us of spiritual regeneration. It was necessary that God, the Holy Spirit, miraculously should intervene, that fashioned within the womb of Mary, there would be a little boy, a little body presented to the Lord Jesus as the Son of God that would clothe his, clothe his life on earth, uninhabited by sin, but only and exclusively inhabited by God. And the birth of Jesus Christ, conceived of the Holy Spirit, sets a magnificent precedent for the spiritual new birth, which the Bible calls spiritual regeneration. It is by the word of God and through the Holy Spirit. The word of God fulfilled in the power of God by the spirit of God to clothe the life of God. That was the birth of Jesus. I don't know how many times I've read what I referred to early as the Christmas story, but it was in preparing to be with you here today that this really jumped out of the word to me. Was it enough that God said it and the Spirit did it? No, that in itself wasn't enough. For Mary said, and you can look back at Luke chapter 1, verse 38, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. In other words, I place my humanity at your disposal, God. I don't see how this can happen. Your word has come to me clear and true. You told me exactly what your plan is. It's diametrically opposed to all physical laws, all natural precedent. But God, if you said it, and if your Holy Spirit is here to do it, then behold the handmaid of the Lord. I place myself unreservedly at your disposal to this end. That the word of God might be implemented by the Spirit of God, it demanded of Mary the obedience of faith, her ability, her availability to the operation of the Holy Spirit 
would bring into experience and make real all that God had said. It is faith that invokes the activity of the object of our faith. Faith on the lips of this woman, Mary said, I don't know how, but you said you will. Thank you. My faith invokes your activity. I ask no more questions. I place myself in availability that you may come into business and accomplish in me that which is your perfect will. And the birth of Jesus was by the word of God through the Holy Spirit. Upon the obedience of faith on the part of one whose humanity was made available for God to implement his own gracious and eternal purpose. Of course, we take for granted today that Mary should have placed herself at God's disposal, that there might be implemented in terms of her, of her humanity this miraculous incarnation of the Lord Jesus. We take it for granted because her name has become enshrined with sentiment and glory. But of course, in making herself available to God in this unique and amazing way, she died to all of her prospects, all of her plans. However could she imagine that Joseph would understand, and he didn't? How could she explain to her parents? However could she expect the neighbors to believe her story, and none did? Why should we take for granted today that this woman should place herself at God's disposal, that the Holy Spirit might implement the word of God, that Jesus might be incarnate in terms of her humanity and be born that first Christmas day when you and I still hesitate to place our humanity unreservedly at the disposal of the Holy Spirit, that the same Lord Jesus might become incarnate in terms of our humanity. And he said, Father, to this end, the Holy Spirit came upon this woman, Mary, that I might be clothed as the Son of God with this humanity that you have fashioned, that the very life of God might be incarnate in terms of my humanity, that I on earth might be man as we, Father, God and Holy Spirit, created man to be. That's Jesus becoming, clothed with the body that the Father prepared for him, that he might offer this body back to the Father, for in becoming man, Jesus, in equality with the triunity of deity, deliberately and through his own free volition, had made himself nothing. What did he do with this body? He did with this body that the Father presented to him exactly what had been agreed upon between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before ever the world was. Before ever the world was fashioned, he was the Lamb slain and agreed with the Father and Holy Spirit with this redemptive plan. Hallelujah. Father, give to me on earth a body utterly unsullied, unstained, 
uninhabited by sin. And Father, I will offer this body back to you that you may be in me all that we as God intended to be in man when we made him. I am going to offer, Father, this body back to you so that it may be wholly filled and flooded with God himself so the invisible triunity of deity may be given visible expression in terms of my humanity. This Father is the plan, and to this Father I fully agree. In the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 10, we see how he fulfilled the plan. Hebrews 10 and chapter 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In bird offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. And we know the volume of the book was, of course, the Old Testament that foreshadowed as the written word everything that was to be accomplished gloriously in the person of the living word, Jesus Christ. And now our final consideration for this morning. How do we become Christians? What is, what is it that really happens when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl becomes a Christian? Let's turn to the third chapter of John's Gospel, <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 1. This is a familiar story. It's Nicodemus coming to the Lord under cover of darkness. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, listen to what he says to Jesus. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus has said that he knows Jesus has come from God. He's about to call him master, and yet Jesus will tell him that he needs something more. Jesus answered and said unto him, This is the word of God. Except a man be born twice, he cannot see the kingdom of God. These were strange words to a mature adult. They shocked his intelligence. And the natural reaction of this natural man, sound familiar? The natural reaction of this natural man to this unnatural word of the Lord Jesus was identical with the natural reaction of the natural heart of that natural woman, Mary, to the unnatural word of the angel Gabriel. Nicodemus saith unto him, How, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time? into his mother's womb and be born? Master, he said, this is, a physic this is physically impossible. 
This violates every known physical precedence. This is contrary to natural law. A man cannot be born twice. And in verse 6 of John here, the Lord Jesus and said, now I'm going to paraphrase the Lord's word and I'm going to weave into it the lesson as we have had it so far. Scholars are pretty much in agreement that Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus was a bit longer than what's exposed to us in the gospel of, in that part of the gospel of John. <clears throat> How can a man be born twice? You want to know, I will tell you, Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. John 3, 6. The animal body that you now inhabit, Nicodemus, was born the animal way of your animal parents by animal means. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You are quite right, Nicodemus. You will never be born again that way. You will never again enter into your mother's womb and be born a second time. But you see, Nicodemus, if the animal body that you possess at this moment was born to you of animal birth, there is another kind of birth by virtue of which you become possessed with another kind of life. It is called eternal life, Nicodemus. It is the life of God himself, the God who inhabits eternity and who is prepared to inhabit them that are of a humble spirit and a contrite heart. You see, Nicodemus, you were created to be a phenomenon. You weren't created by God just to be a higher form of animal life. You were created, Nicodemus, for this unique office, a man inhabited by God himself and none other. But you see, Nicodemus, when you were born into this world, you were born the natural way of a fallen natural parent. And you have inherited the spiritual bankruptcy of your fallen forebearer, Adam. God created man to be inhabited by himself. And when God first made man, God indwelled him. And God in the man was the origin of his image and expressed his nature through that man. Well, I tell you what happened, Nicodemus. That man, Adam, repudiated the basic principle of his humanity. He directly disobeyed God's will and basically said, I can be a man without God. And he became an animal, born the animal way. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But not only that, Nicodemus, but something infinitely worse happened. For his soul that was to be directed by the indwelling Holy Spirit of the triune deity, deity, that through his mind, his emotions, and will in the totality of his personality, the nature and character of God should have been put on display, brought out into the open for everyone to see the truth about God, 
because he was the truth about man. The soul was invaded in its spiritual destitution by an agency of satanic origin that has abused, misused, and prostituted man's humanity ever since the first Adam fell into sin. And your mind, Nicodemus, and your emotions, Nicodemus, and your will, Nicodemus, have been polluted and corrupted by Satan himself. And that is why God's purpose for you, Nicodemus, is that on God's terms of reference, your humanity might once more be invaded by the God who made you, that he might reoccupy and once more monopolize your being and make you man again, Nicodemus, man as God intended you to be. You must be born from above. You must receive the quality of life that is vested in God himself, eternal life. Marvel not what I say unto you, third richest man in Jerusalem, cultured, influential, and not insincere, religious. You have got to be born twice by the Holy Spirit. For the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whether it goeth. So, Nicodemus, is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We're going to close in just a moment. As we now leave Christ's explanation of the new birth to Nicodemus, I feel, didn't Nicodemus get beat up upon? I mean, it's convicting word. I, I can't leave him there, okay? Fortunately, Scripture tells us something more about Nicodemus, and I'm referring to John 19.39. Um, his response, And there came also Nicodemus. We're talking about Jesus being embalmed at the tomb. We're, there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. And brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. Nicodemus risks his life and spends his money to show his love for Jesus. I pray that is what happens to all of us as well. In conclusion, God's creation of man in his image to abide by his will and demonstrate his character in all that the man is and does, produced man as he intended man to be, a phenomenon. Man was created to be inhabited by God, as was so brilliantly demonstrated by the 33 years of Jesus' life as man. God has presented to you and to me a way through Jesus Christ to be spiritually reborn and receive his life, which is eternal. You and I may live our lives as the phenomena God intended us to be. What a blessed life we have as Christians. As the band takes the stage, I've only got one more thing to say. Are there any Nicodemuses? being beaten up by the Lord, by his words, when he came to him. 
And though intellectually you acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Son of God, if you have not been born again, the baptistry awaits. And during the last song, I'll be standing over in the corner. Please come let me know. Let's all let Jesus shine in our lives. <laughs>